Judgment Day, V2, Episode Number 3. Judgment Day, Volume 2. Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2. Israel catapulted to global superpower, as Russia succumbs to Jewish domination. Subtitle, A Muslim's Nightmare. Hello everyone. Welcome to Episode Number 3 of our series in which we are studying End Times Bible Prophecy based upon the series we have titled the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Today, we will launch into the meat of our study, centered in Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 28, taken from volume 2 of the series called Judgment Day, Israel catapulted to global superpower. The writer of said series being Mr. Alvin Mitchell, and, I am Erica, your friendly host. Please feel free to join us as we invoke the blessing of God upon this and all of the studies to come in this highly informative and instructive series. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 28. Renaissance. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 28. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 5, 6, 49, 18 to 22, 60 to 4, 5, 8, 9. The Valley of Dry Bones. Before there could be any fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, there had first to be a nation of Israel, that such a nation would ever arise again was unlikely, even in the eyes of a Jew. That this nation would ever rise to the level of global hegemony must be something of a nightmare to those of the world of Islam and other Jew haters. Nonetheless, God says it is to be. At the time of Ezekiel's writing, the nation was largely, kaput, that is, as the nation it was supposed to be, it did not exist. Israel, the northern kingdom, had been destroyed and carried off by the Assyrians, centuries earlier. Judah was in captivity, in Babylon. At the time of Ezekiel's writing. The stage upon which the Christ would be born had yet to be set. Thus, the nation had to revive and die a second time, before Ezekiel's confrontation could materialize. Dead though it was in Ezekiel's day, die it would again, as we shall see. Yahweh's hand being upon me, carrying me in the spirit of Yahweh, sat me down in the middle of a valley filled with bones. He asked of me, Son of man, can these bones live? And he said to me, Prophesy. So I did as I was told. Whereupon there was a noise, dot and a shaking, as all the dry bones rejoined themselves, to their respective dry bones. And as I looked on, Lifeless corpses took shape as the dry bones were covered in flesh and skin, together with all the connective tissue. And he said to me, Speak to the wind. I did, and their breath returned into the corpses, so that they all lived, standing upon their feet, representing an extremely large army. And he told me that these bones represent the whole house of the nation of Israel, did who, though being dead as such in their captivity, their plight apparently hopeless, would ultimately be brought back from among the Gentile nations where they were being held, to live again as a nation. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, and you will be gathered from the west, even as I speak to the north and south saying, Give them up, do not hold them back. Let my sons and daughters be brought from the ends of the earth. This is what Yahweh Elohim says, Lo! I will raise my hand to the Gentiles and they will bring my sons and daughters, in their arms and upon their shoulders, and they will not be ashamed who wait for me. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be nursed at your side, and the abundance of the sea will be converted to you. Who are these who fly as a cloud, and as the doves to their windows? 
most assuredly the isles will do my bidding, to bring your sons from afar. All the prophecies regarding the end times are highly significant, worthy to be studied and mused upon by the child of God and student of Scripture. None should ever be taken lightly. All, in context being mindful of God's heavy use of symbolism can be taken literally. Perhaps the pinnacle of all the eschatological prophecies, it might be argued, is this one. The return of that most despised, beaten down, bruised and battered of all human beings from his lowly estate to sit once again as a people in the face of all of his detractors not just as a nation, but, to be actually ultimately elevated to a position so that his is to the consternation of multitudes above the nations. This will occur during the millennial reign, yes, but the Bible makes it clear it will occur as well before his return. All this, per the word and will of the living God, his God, who lives, following two thousand years of often brutal, sometimes deadly mistreatment. The resurrection of Israel. The resurrection of the scattered, disjointed, nationally, lifeless, sun-bleached, tormented, bones. Of a people lacking either the skins of protection, or the meat and muscle of hope, of Israel to nationhood, was to any thinker, a thought not worth thinking. As of the early 1900s this prophecy had yet to be fleshed out. It showed little prospect of ever being fulfilled not entirely unlike all of God's other prophetic pronouncements. No world government was prepared to believe it would ever occur. Even business moguls like Henry Ford, founder of the Ford Motor Company, Dearborn, Michigan who was according to some sources, staunchly anti-Semitic dared voice what appeared to be serious reservations of any such possibility, in a newspaper he published in the 1920s. God, however, says that the return of the Jew to occupy as a nation among nations will not only occur, it will occur at the world's expense. The nations will assist in the fulfillment of the one thing they never thought, and or refused to believe would ever be possible. Effectively, this prophecy represents the beginning of many in which God will virtually rub the credibility and the viability of his prophetic word in their unbelieving faces, shoving it up their incredulous noses. At this juncture, per the scriptures cited above, the Jews are out of their homeland, or soon will be, exiled in Babylon per the will and judgment of God. Disenchanted as they were, their situation having all the trappings of absolute hopelessness, God is consoling them with the assurance that as bad as things are and will be for them right now, and in years to come, they will survive as a unique, distinct people and culture, and ultimately thrive again as a nation. However, these prophecies do not pertain to the return to the land of Israel from the Babylonian captivity, where they were. Rather, they actually look past this point to a distant future, when the exiled Babylon returnees having struggled to regain footing and standing as a nation under a variety of different conquerors will have given the world its Messiah. Following the death and resurrection of that Christ, the nation will have once again been sacked and ramshackled, this time by the Romans under General Titus, in 70 AD. Beyond Titus and the final straw which saw the Romans totally dissolve the nation in around 130 AD, the Jews were again forced to vacate the land of their fathers, dispersed and scattered to the four winds as the land was renamed Palestine, by the disgruntled Romans. Once more, after roughly 2,000 years in exile, they currently, in fulfillment of those promises and prophecies, find themselves back home, struggling to survive in the land of promise, against formidable odds. The pressure is as persistent as it is perpetually hostile.
This latest and most recent, diasporatic, return was well underway when the Ashkenazi, Hazar Jews, see sections on Khazars, Ashkenazi, and Zionists, in a hostile takeover of sorts, circumnavigated the Palestinian Jews and Arabs, and the UK with its, white paper, resolutions, rose up and declared themselves a nation in 1948, having snatched control of Palestine from the British, who had ousted the Ottoman Empire, controlled by the Turks, after World War I. After 67 years, plus, of existence, again, struggling to survive, there is cause, if not considerable reason for question as to whether this is the ultimate, final solution in terms of God's plan for the renaissance of his people. Obviously, there is more to the story than meets the eye. Who are these people who control the show? See the sections titled, The Khazars, The Ashkenazi Factor, and, Zionism, for fuller discussions. Their homecoming, rebirth, and place upon the global stage was cemented in 1967 by a failed, concerted Islamic Arab push intended, yet again to literally drive them out of the land, this time into the sea. Strangely, perhaps, even as they seek and shuffle amid the rubble of a never-ending past to sift enjoyment, comfort, liberty and a safe haven out of a climate rife with daily danger, there is still more of the same to come capped with yet another diaspora, limited though it may well be, during and toward the end of the apocalypse itself. Revelation chapter 12 verses 13 to 17. And, to make matters interesting, if not worse, that dispersion will be preceded by yet another brush with near-total annihilation. See Ezekiel chapter 39 and 38. Only to find itself intertwined with a final murderous push during the Battle of Armageddon, as outlined in Joel chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 14 and Revelation chapter 16. Sidebar. All this suffering, this trouble and these hard times, it should be noted, is per the word and will of God as much as are the good times. In retribution for their persistent disobedience, God had promised them as early as the end of the book of Leviticus chapter 26, that this would be their lot. They would be downtrodden by other nations, hated by virtually everyone, constantly fearful, even when there was no cause for fear. But, for all that, they would never lose their identity. Unlike the ten tribes deported by the Assyrians, and the hundreds of thousands, maybe even a few million, who chose not to leave Babylon, the Jews have never been able to assimilate completely into any other culture of which they have been a part. No matter how long they have been there, no matter how well they have kept their silence, nor will they ever be destroyed as a people, whatever the clamor and fervent desire of all their vowed enemies. Woe! To that foolish nation or people eager for Jewish blood and or their demise whose job it is to administer the bad times, as we shall see. No matter how they are punished, no matter how they are made to suffer at the hands of others, they will never cease to be his people, the apple of his eye, nor will the promises made to the fathers and patriarchs regarding them ever be disavowed. They will survive, as they always have, one agonizing hardship after the other, right up to the bitter end, at the Battle of Armageddon. Finding and relocating the Jew and resettling him in his homeland, per the will of God, was one thing. Financing his stay is another. While his return and stay would not be without its difficulties and trials, God gave solemn promise that all of his economic needs would be met, obviously, in his time, not his. Further, his return itself being perhaps a fifth in a series of signs of the times, a sixth, or, seventh, might be the manner of his finances. However will this people, 
once completely dead as a freestanding national entity, thanks to the Romans, who wipe them off then known maps, procure the money they need. Known now for their industry, having few if any, friends, to stand with them, beyond the US, strictly speaking, and, few known reserves of crucial natural resources, coal, natural gas, crude, with which to establish their independence and pay the bill for their revival and or national defense in the face of dangerous, caustic, life-threatening hostilities that will not die. How can they ever hope to bridge their economic chasm? And, that, my friends, will do it for this third edition of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Make plans to join us when next we meet for episode number 4. Reading from the book Judgment Day, Volume 2, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2. Israel catapulted to international superpower. May God be with you, bless you and keep you, until our next get-together.